Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back, everyone, to the 35th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host today, Arjun Menon, and I'm not joined by my normal co-host, Tage Seth, because he's off traveling, doing big things. But I will be joined by my very good friend, uh, Judah Fortgang, a fellow R&D intern with me over the summer and current betting analyst for PFF. Judah, how are we doing today? We're doing we're doing well. I mean, I've got big shoes to fill with Tage, uh, you know, out the door. But hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, still have a good conversation, still have some, uh, you know, good bets and, and good insight uh, for, for Sunday. Yeah, no, I know our audience, I'm sure, has a little bit of an overlap with PFF. And if they are part of the printing press, uh, you know, they would know that Judah's a very, very good handicapper, a much better one than me and Tage, as our record and in ROI indicates. But you know, we'll we'll move on from there. We've kind of talked about why we've kind of struggled this year, and we'll we'll eventually get to, um, by the end of the season, how like our performance did with bets. But a quick agenda for today: we'll preview a couple important games for this weekend, like we normally do. Um, then we'll get into some long-term betting insights again, because Judah is one of the people I respect the most when it comes to that type of stuff. And then also some live betting, which. Again, Judah is one of the best there is, I think, at least in the public sphere that I've seen. So, um, Judah, I do want to st- start with Vikings-Lions, which is a game that I'm sure, you know, Tage would be going on and on about in this episode for, for good reason, because it is a great game. And he's obviously very knowledgeable about the Vikings and Lions in general. But what is your kind of like big um, thing about this game? Do you have any like big insights you're looking into or anything you're looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to start with the fact that the Lions play a ton of man coverage. They don't really have the corners, and they're going up against Justin Jefferson, uh, probably uh, the best receiver in football. If not, he's he's right up there. Uh, and for all you can say about you know fundamentals and team value, it kind of doesn't really matter if Justin Jefferson takes the game over. And like, is it exactly the type of spot? And he's historically done that against the Lions, the exception of the game they uh, played earlier this year. Uh, and it's like out the door if Justin Jefferson's uh, winning in man coverage and yeah. that's kind of what I'm seeing yeah I agree I I look back on that like Thanksgiving day where Belichick tried to one run his cover one double and it just didn't work they don't have the top end corners and you know the good thing about this game divisional game is we've seen these two teams play before so going back to the week three matchup um 
Jeffrey Okuda was matched up on Justin Jefferson on 31 snaps. He was targeted four times and only allowed two completions for nine yards when facing Justin Jefferson. And in general, Jefferson ran 44 routes against the Lions, and he was either bracketed or was in single man coverage with help on about 32% of those routes, so 14 of those routes. And of those 14 routes where he was doubled or in help, he was only targeted on two occasions. Now, what we've seen in recent weeks is Kirk Cousins has kind of embraced that YOLO type of ball, whether that's because he has TJ Hawkinson or you know he's he's just been coached to th- kind of throw the ball up. We've seen his ADOT increase with TJ Hawkinson, and he's targeting Jefferson even if Jefferson is doubled. I'm curious, like, do you think the like I know we don't want to coach our bats or like try to coach our insights into this game, but do you think the Lions will kind of run the same game plan they had in week three or you know kind of change it up? for this matchup. Yeah, I think they'll change it up. Uh, excuse me, I think they'll, they'll, they'll run with the same game plan, obviously. It, it worked. Uh, but I think the factor you just mentioned, TJ Hawkinson, and maybe I should have led with that, kind of changes the the calculus yeah. a bit, uh, which is like if TJ Hawkinson's winning over the middle and uh, Jefferson's running a bit of a different route tree, right, that could lead to a totally different outcome than what we saw in week three. Uh, but again, that's a great live betting angle, right? It's like paying attention to how the Lions are deploying coverage on Jefferson and is Hawkinson winning or is he yeah. not? Uh, but that's definitely something I'm I'm watching, and it's an interesting question. Uh, and the, you know, the Lions' defense has played uh, at least not at the worst rate in the league over uh, probably the last five or six games. Uh, but look, yeah, that's the key matchup, and uh, that's what we're we're waiting to see on Sunday. Yeah, totally agree. And you know, going looking into that matchup in Week Three, um, the Lions were a little bit better on offense. They were. I shouldn't say better. They were more explosive. So the thing with the Lions in that matchup in week three, they had a 44% success rate, but averaged 0.06 EPA per play. But on the flip side, the Vikings had a 57% success rate on all plays, a 67% success rate on the ground, but averaged a lower EPA per play than the Lions, meaning, you know, they kind of just struggled in high leverage scenarios where they averaged a negative 0.2 EPA per pass on third and fourth down, right? So we can kind of like guess. So the Lions initially in the early part of the season, I, it was a they were a fade for me because it seems like they were super reliant on explosive plays. But we watched them just tear up that or we didn't watch. We followed the Lions tear up that Jags defense on third down repeatedly. And it's like it's not like the Vikings defense is any good. Like where like do you think the Vikings defense like has a shot at slowing down this Lions offense, which has been on a terrific pace the past couple of weeks? Yeah, that's that's the angle uh, you should talk. No, they don't. Uh, and like last week, it was like third and nine, Amonos and Brown every single time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like, look, the Vikings defense has been fine over the course of a season, but like, take you know, kind of where they're trending over the last six weeks, it's it's not exactly a pretty picture. Uh, yeah. Like their pass EPA is like 18th over the last six weeks. But by like my numbers, I have them like 24th in drive quality on defense. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't exactly been pretty. And, and this yeah. is this is almost exactly the spot, uh, right? The Lions are basically all healthy now. Uh, we'll see if Jamison Williams has a little more run, but like DJ Chark is back. That's like, uh, regardless of whether he's uh, catching deep balls, he's certainly dragging safeties with him. And like that opens up the field for a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't think the Vikings have uh, kind of the defense to stop it. And that's why we've got such a high total for this game. Yeah, the, the Vikings have really struggled, I think, stop, stopping the pass. And, the thing with the Vikings is like they've got an elite edge play from Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter this year, but that is kind of neutered by Taylor Decker and Panay Sewell, right? Like Jared Goff 
isn't a type the type of quarterback you want to put under pressure. He doesn't very doesn't do well making plays out of structure. But the Lions are good where the Vikings are good, and the Lions I would say tackles are better than the Vikings edge players. Um, and I think Zadarius Smith has kind of slowed down in recent weeks after a, a pretty hot start to the year. So I think I think the Lions will have some success offensively in this game. Jared Goff, 0.184 EPA per play in a dome, and he's been playing very well at home. That's kind of been documented. You know, he did play uh, – he, he was okay in the game versus the Vikings, which is also in a dome, but now at home um, should – you know, his weapons will be a little bit healthier. Hopefully, Jameson Williams is integrated into the game plan a little bit more. I think, you know, I don't think the Vikings' pressure will get to him that much even if Goff like can make some boneheaded decisions uh, time after yeah. time. No, it's, it's true. Uh, I think it's, it, you're hard pressed to make a case that the, the Vikings defense will, will do much damage uh, to stop them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game. Again, the line for that is I kind of settling around uh, lines minus one and a half. So I'm the, the market is pretty much saying these two teams are equal on a neutral field. Like the line would be a pick them pretty much. But I don't know. I feel like uh, Ford Field's going to be rocking for this game. It's like, you know, and Lions revenge game. Like, they should have won that game in week three. Just some, you know, bad fourth down decisions by Dan Campbell. And, you know, just, a, you know, Lions end of game defense has been horrific at times this year. But I think I think it should be able to get the job done. And there's a reason this line moved from Vikings plus two to Lions minus two. That's right. That's right. They're they're ready in Detroit. Uh, we're all going to yeah. watch. Okay, next game, another divisional game, another rematch, Browns Bengals. So, you know, I I've kind of slowly changed my tune on the Bengals, especially the last two weeks. Um, m- the big test for me was how Burrow was going to do against the Titans without Jamar Chase. I thought he passed with, I thought he passed the test. Um, it's not like he made any like game changing throws, but he made the throws he needed to make. He avoided the negative plays. So, Majay Piran is looking more and more like the best running back on the team. And I don't know if Joe Mixon coming back is is a net positive for the Bengals, if we're being honest, because Mixon's rushing yards over expected is negative 0.12. Piran's is 0.34. And Piran's had, I think, a tougher slate of, of defense, run defensive space where he gets a majority of his carries from. Um, you know, what are you kind of expecting from this game? You know, a game where the line has kind of moved from minus four, minus four and a half to now minus five and a half, minus six. Yeah, I think this is probably the trickiest game on the slate, honestly. Uh, and kind of exactly what you're alluding to, the line movement, I think is, uh, you know, a reaction to how Deshaun Watson played. Uh, and it's tricky, I think, because you almost come in with the prior that, like, okay, Watson's going to struggle. Yeah. You didn't think it would be as bad uh, as he was against the Texans. It was like a negative 1.8 EPA, I think. Um, but right, it's almost like, how do you price that in now? Where you didn't know coming in, uh, like, he's going to be rusty. But, like, it's a question mark. Is he going to be as rusty? Is he that bad? Uh, is he going to flip the switch to be kind of the, the quarterback uh, from, you know, 2020, 2019? Uh, or yeah. is it somewhere in between? Uh, so it's almost hard to kind of handicap where the Browns' offense is going to lie, which I think is, like, making this game particularly tricky. But can you handicap where the Bengals are? Where the Bengals are. Lie. Okay, exactly. So that's the question. Something I've been uh, noticing, uh, again, kind of, kind of along the same lines of uh, – building into like a, a strong prior and then kind of adapting uh, to new information. I came into the season saying that I think Joe Burrow is going to get a lot better from year two to year three and that the offensive line is going to take some time uh, given how much uh, change they, uh, they kind of underwent in the off season. 
something that's been pretty striking to me is uh, basically starting from week seven, uh, this like unit was, was perfectly blocking plays at like a 53% clip. Uh, that number has been like 68% yeah. uh, over the last bunch of weeks, which I think speaks to like the unit itself uh, kind of developing chemistry uh, and like you're, the further away from the season, the less the lack of continuity matters. Uh, and I think with the offensive line holding up, like Joe Burrow hasn't really been taking many sacks. And that's like, that's new information, which was the knock on Burrow uh, was that he's a great quarterback, but he takes way too many sacks. Uh, and like, sure, some of them are, uh, you know, his fault uh, and holding the ball on too long. But like, he's playing with rhythm. That's the, that's the first thing. And the second is like his offensive line is playing really well. And they weren't playing well earlier in the season, uh, which gives me a little bit of confidence in the in the Bengals offense. Yeah, I agree. The The Bengals offensive line, I think, has been great this year. Um, they've, they've stayed pretty much healthy, I think, for most of the season. I haven't really seen any big changes to their offensive line. Um, obviously, we do, you know, kind of want to look back on the the game that they played in week eight, where the Bengals got absolutely uh, beat up. They, they did struggle a lot um, versus the Browns on the road, where the Bengals, I think, have struggled a little bit. But in this game... Uh, Miles Garrett, eight pressures, two sacks. Jonah Williams was a turnstile out there, just letting Miles Garrett do whatever he wanted to him. Joe Burrow averaged a negative 0.16 EPA per pass. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the, it's just weird how Burrow's just struggled versus the Browns in his career. Uh, he's averaged versus the Browns in his career, which doesn't really have any predictive value. Just fun to look at. 0.0352 EPA per play versus the Browns in his career. So I think that's four starts now if my math is correct uh maybe five but I think it's four so you know it's not like he's had a ton of success versus the Browns in general the Bengals haven't had success versus the Browns with Burrow at quarterback so you know I think because the Bengals offensive line is starting to gel they've kept Burrow clean Burrow's playing a Burrow's decision making has been way better than the start of the year one turnover worthy play since week six like I've talked about how Justin Herbert is the best in the league at avoiding negatives. Like Joe Burrow right now is up there with Justin Herbert. Like I would put them as one A, one B, or just both tied at one because both of them are not making as many mistakes with the ball. And I think in a game with the Browns where you don't want to fall behind, you don't want to let the Browns kind of play in these um, game scripts where they can run and pass versus forcing Deshaun to pass the ball you know, on every down, putting them in expected pass situations. I think the Bengals can get ahead early. I think that will be a determining factor of like how the game is going to go in terms of the game script. Right, for sure. Uh, and what's interesting to notice, like, despite, and this this wasn't true last week, uh, but like despite the uh, Bengals kind of success this year, they've gotten off to slow starts and the Browns have gotten off to pretty good starts. Uh, like yeah. on scripted stuff, the Browns have been one of the best uh, and the Bengals have been a little bit slower. So it's interesting to kind of note uh Number one, that uh, because right then, and like in theory, the Browns are good extending leads, but that hasn't really been the case. Yeah. Uh, and like in expected pass situations, Joe Burrow's got like a point three EPA. He's been one of the best in the league. Uh, so even if kind of uh, like because your mind just wants you to say like, okay, they've got Nick Chubb, they've got this like offensive line, a great running game, they should be perfect uh, to extend leads. But that hasn't really been the case. Uh, again, with Deshaun Watson, it's like a totally different story. Uh, no one knows, and like. In the inverse, it's true, like, as you're saying, that, like, if the Bengals get out to a lead and Burrow has uh, kind of this, like, presence that he's not making mistakes, he's not taking sacks, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for the Browns to come back. Yeah, yeah, I 
I totally agree. Um, you know, we it, it's tough to really like, like you said, price in Deshaun's return because he looked pretty bad against the Texans. Again, he hasn't played fo- a football game in in like I don't what was the number like seven hundred something days. Yeah, something like yeah. that. So they also. You know, I, sorry, I was go. gonna say like they're, they're just like also putting like the the wheels on. They're like, okay, we don't actually need to uh, like have him throw any uh, advanced routes. Like he barely dropped back to pass. It was like. Yeah, defense was scoring, and they're playing the Texans. It's like exactly the type of spot where he would come out rusty. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But the in- interesting thing about this game is, like, in the last time these two, these two teams played, Jacoby Brissett averaged a zero point five eight EPA per play, had a completion percentage over expected of twenty five point seven, and re- you know, watching that game back a little to prepare for this, like, you could see he was finding receivers like really deep down the field. Like, it wasn't like you know he was taking a lot of checkdowns. He had an A dot of 10.9 in that game. And I think part of that is because the Browns kind of controlled that game start to finish. Um, the Bengals didn't have DJ Reader in this game. And we've talked about how, like, you know, the D-line is is kind of a weak link unit at times. And DJ Reader is the glue guy on that defensive line. Uh, you know, that's why Derrick Henry had, like, 40-something rushing yards in the game versus the versus the Bengals and how the Chiefs who really really couldn't get anything going on the ground they typically can anyway but just like more so in general and I think D- having DJ Reader back for this game is is a big boost for the Bengals and putting Deshaun in these expected pass situations where Jack Conklin is, is questionable for this game and we've kind of talked about or you've done great work on kind of the diminishing returns in pass protection and having you know Sam Hubbard or Trey Hendrickson both who have been having great years pass uh, rushing the quarterback I think if DJ Reader and Logan Wilson are able to like be present in this game, make the impact like they've made in in games prior, I think the Browns offense will struggle to kind of like move the ball consistently, especially if Deshaun is you know still kind of rusty. For sure, and, and even to just add some more uh, like context there, it's right. The we haven't really seen the the Bengals tested with Atchidobia Uze. Uh, I'm like I don't see uh, Amari Cooper's having a great year. Uh, and like he's actually popping in uh, some of like the PFF separation grades, uh, yeah. but I- I'm not exactly sure that like Donovan Peoples Jones and Amari Cooper exactly with the type to uh, to the the Bengals' weakest area, which is like their secondary yeah. and specifically their corners. Yeah, and even the Chiefs game, which is like supposed to be the best one of the best offenses in the league, they didn't really have much success in the air. I guess the Kelsey fumble changed things, but um, the the Bengals' strategy of you know, rushing three, dropping eight worked pretty well against the Chiefs. I don't really know if he can do that against the Browns because if you play light boxes, if you play lighter personnel, they're just going to run down your throat. But, and they have the protection to kind of like hold up for longer amount amounts of time. But I think the Bengals defense is adaptable. Luana Ruma, I think, has done a tremendous job with them. Even though they haven't really got tested without Shadobi Wizier, um, I think the depth is fine. And We've kind yeah. of talked about how Eli Apple isn't as bad as people make him out to be. He shows up pretty well in our um, our own coverage metric that you and I built. So I think it'll be a fun game. Um, again, spread is kind of moved towards the Bengals. And I, I do, you know, I, I like them as a teaser. I don't really know if I like them at like the minus five and a half, minus six. Yeah, no, I don't think I'll be betting it at five and a half. Uh, the teaser is interesting. I'm not sure I'll pull the trigger. Uh, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, yeah it's not a. None. It's not a high conviction play? No, it's just like, I don't think it's a positive EV teaser because it's not going through seven. It is going through three, but like, I'm basically just picking the Bengals to win because it's going from right. like six to zero. So, right. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Okay. 
let's move on. Sunday night football, Dolphins, Chargers. I mean, I think people, you know, listeners of the show will probably already know how uh how I'm feeling about this game, but like you've kind of been the the rock for me sometimes, like in a non like that not in that way, but just like you've always told me like Justin Herbert is good. Like, don't worry about this Chargers team. I've believed you. There's times where I've completely given up in the first half and they've came back to win. And you just told me you gotta calm down, you gotta calm down. What do you like? What is your read on the Chargers this this late in the season? So I definitely last week was definitely a, a downgrade. Like they got thoroughly dominated by the uh, the Raiders. Even I don't think the final score tells the uh, the full story there. Um, I mean, look, I think we got a uh, Brandon Staley was brought in to uh, kind of be this this next gen uh, eliminate explosive plays or limit them as much as you can. That hasn't happened at all. They're allowing the most explosive plays of any team in the NFL. Excuse the, the highest explosive play percentage of any team in the NFL. The defense is a wreck, right? They signed Khalil Mack. He can't generate pressure at all. Uh, like, obviously losing uh, Joey Bosa does not help. Yeah. Um, look, I think at the end of the day, I, Herbert is still a terrific quarterback. They were decimated by injury in the middle of the season. Uh, I think Mike Williams' health here is essential uh, to their success. Yeah. And we can, we'll dive into that in a minute. Why specifically this week? Um, but like, look, Keenan Allen's lost a step. I, like, it should be priced in, and I know you've you've uh, been on Twitter about that this week. But like, it's true, and like, I don't know how healthy is. Regardless, that's irrelevant for like where they are right now, which is like, I think they have a really terrific quarterback who, uh, maybe you pump the brakes in the sense of like he's not elevating in the same way. That, like Patrick Mahomes, you put him with the Chargers receivers, you feel like it's not going to make a difference. It's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I'm not sure Herbert has kind of reached that stage. Yeah, he still has such pocket presence. He's still a terrific quarterback, and in that, like anything can happen, and they're still ceiling. But the rest of the team really is just kind of Bad. a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> you don't got to sugarcoat it. I mean, they might be their defense might be without Derwin James, Bryce Callahan, and Sebastian Joseph Day. Which, in my opinion, after well, jo- Derwin is the number one player on that defense. But then Callahan, in my opinion, has been the second best performer on defense. And then Joseph Day is the only healthy nose tackle or D tackle left outside of Morgan Fox, who was healthy from, you know, the pre from the final cuts. So, like, I don't know. I, I'm first of all, I'm, if you know, we're not going to talk about Herbert versus Tua because, you know, I, everyone kind of knows where my stance is on that. I think the result of the game is, is obviously going to cause a lot of discussion, a lot of talk on Twitter. But I think it just comes down to, first of all, I do want to talk about the Dolphins offense because they did struggle a little bit versus the Niners, but it wasn't, it wasn't struggling in the way that I kind of expected them to struggle. They struggled because Tua was off. They struggled because he was missing throws, hot, you know, missing throws high, missing throws low, leading his receivers too much. It wasn't, and it was like McDaniel was still scheming guys open, right? Guys were open when Tua threw the ball. Now, that was, you know, the, the Niners are supposed to be the best defense in the NFL. The Chargers are not the best defense in the NFL. Yeah. And something I was looking at, right, is the Dolphins offense averaged 0.71 EPA per pass, throwing the ball over the middle in, in the intermediate range. So that's like 10 to 19 yards. They've done that 62 times. So they basically added 44 points, throwing the ball intermediate over the middle. The Chargers defense has allowed 0.94 EPA per pass over the middle in the intermediate range, which is the sixth, the worst mark of any defense, you know, Tua targeting uh, Fred Warner versus Kenneth Murray 
might be the, the single biggest like switch from week to week of, of any matchup in NFL history. So I like, is there any edge that the chargers defense has in this Dolphins game? Like, is there any way you think that the defense will be able to stop the offensive, especially with and without Derwin James, Callahan, Joseph day, et cetera. No, I don't think so. Uh, and that's kind of like why it's hard to make a case for the chargers. Uh, and as you said, um, Right, like it wasn't that there was something fundamental about the uh, issues of the Dolphins last week, other than like two, it was missing throws. Uh, and like in theory, what you would do is like, especially if the Dolphins' O line is still banged up, if you can generate a pass rush uh, and like force Tua to make really quick reads, that's exactly what would kind of lead to more mistakes uh, where you're out of rhythm because you're forcing uh, throws early on. But the Chargers don't have that ability. Yeah. Right, like Khalil Mack's not generating enough pressure. Uh, it's just I don't think it's the spot uh, or there's, there's really nothing to say about the Chargers defense that like uh, allows you to think unless, you know, like Staley's blitz packages are, are really hitting yeah. that day. Uh, like it's hard to give a read on the, the Chargers defense. That's that's positive. Yeah. And so I know you were talking about Mike Williams and like what his return means for the Chargers. Like what is, you know, why don't you walk us through like your thought yeah. process on that and like how his return impacts the Chargers? Yeah. So I think it's it's especially interesting. The Dolphins have played like the f- fourth most man coverage uh, in the league. Uh, and Mike Williams actually leads the league in, in yards per uh, route run against man coverage. And he also generates like a 35% target share. Um, I'll just add a little bit of like context to that, which is like, it is true that the average for the Dolphins uh is 44 percent which is like the uh that was the fourth highest in the league but they're very variant on uh and involved on how they use that coverage it, like just mm-hmm. to, to very quickly spit off numbers it's 25 73 42 56 50 62 30 33 46 52 25 so like week to week uh, and i think with with williams it's especially if the dolphins run a man heavy game they need him on the field mm-hmm. uh and like Austin Eckler's done nothing as a receiver uh, against man coverage. All of his production has come basically against zone. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like a yard per, per that run difference. Um, and the same goes for for Josh Palmer. He's been much better against zone than he has against man. Uh, and like that, it, it's essential, especially if the uh, Dolphins do utilize one of those man-heavy uh, game plans. Yeah, you, you kind of, I mean, I've been vocal about Keenan Allen not being able to separate at all, or not, I shouldn't say at all, but like not being able to, able to separate like he used to. I mean, he wasn't even able to get past Amik Robertson, who is like yeah. a 5'8 slot corner. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Keenan. The thing with Mike is like, he's not that great of a separator either, but he offers no. more verticality in this offense, something they've lacked um, pretty much the entire season. And I don't know. I, I if I'm the Dolphins, I'm literally just running man coverage, blitzing the hell out of Herbert. Which the Chargers' offense, the fourth worst offense versus the blitz in the league this year. Which again, that's not something I'd expect with the alien like Justin Herbert, who would be able to, you know, make throws against man coverage and all that. But that that's just how it is. They don't. Um, they don't have the receivers to to separate quickly. It's exactly what yeah. you're illustrating. Um, you can you know. throw the the forty yard bombs to to Mike Williams if you have uh, longer developing plays. Um, but they and can't like, pass protect. Exactly. You can't pass protect it. So that's like, uh, that's kind of the paradox of the, the charger season so far. Yeah. So to kind of like recap our, <laughs> what's going to happen in this game, the chargers defense probably won't be able to stop the dolphins offense. Dolphins offense just 
you know, especially if Keenan and Callahan aren't playing, they're going to repeatedly target the middle of the field, which they've had a ton of success this year. And the Chargers just probably won't be able to stop it. And on the flip side, if the Dolphins decide to man up, blitz heavy, like, I don't even know if the Chargers receivers are going to get any separation right off the snap against Xavier Howard, Kader, Kader, Kahu, and Byron Jones. Like, we don't, I don't know what's going to happen there. And if Corey Lindsley's out, I mean, Justin Herbert's going to get pressured at least 40 times, 40% of the, the game. Like, I, that's, like, a given. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing uh, redeeming on the, the Chargers line at this point. Uh <laughs> I guess Slayer's uh, play at left tackle has been has been a bit of a surprise, but I think it's right. It's like the, the Chargers better be hoping that like he was off again, and like if yeah, that's your it, that's kind of your best hope, that's that's not exactly a, a screaming by. Yeah, and you know for the people, I uh, Dolphins minus one twenty five on Sunday night was the biggest my biggest play of the year for good reason. It's now out to like minus one sixty, minus one seventy. So got some closing line value, and I'm honestly surprised the line hasn't moved out to like three and a half um in this game i think i saw I, it in, in some places actually uh yeah it's it's there. because of justin herbert because in prime time he's actually like been pretty good this year that's right um but yeah i do want to transition so the, you know those are the three games i did want to review with you um i did want to transition the uh episode to long-term long shot bets something that you've done pretty well the past two years last year you had a bengals ten thousand to one ticket the year before you had a Bucks ticket that you placed, I think like week 12, week 13. Um, are there any like long shot Super Bowl bets, conference winner bets, division winner bets that you like that you want to talk about um, for our listeners? Yeah, I do. I like the Dolphins Super Bowl uh, 20 to 1 for almost all of the reasons we just illustrated, which is I think the, the kind of market view from last week was that like, oh, the Dolphins success has mostly been a product of uh, – facing bad defenses and like we're not really buying it to two uh let's see what happens when he plays like a, a playoff caliber defense i actually saw that game very differently because i saw it as more of an aberration on to his side uh not being able to make throws and like they're going to get guys open against the best defenses and they can win kind of exactly as you were saying against anyone yeah. uh, and just like when you when you take a like aggregate view of like their their numbers their, their first epa in like every category uh on to his throwing and like they're ceiling there. And again, the the kind of mindset to have with a long shot is not like, what do I think is most likely to happen? It's like, if everything goes right, right? Like, what's the ceiling outcome here? Uh, and like for the Dolphins, it's the best offense in the league. And that's kind of yeah. been when two has been at quarterback. Uh, the division is certainly not out of reach. They beat the Bills there essentially in, in first place. It's not like they're uh, needing so much to go right. Uh, outside of their control that I, I like the Dolphins at 20 to 1. I'm curious your, your your take on that. Yeah, no, that I think is the best value of the, you know, of the teams. Um, You do want to bet on uh, teams with uh, offensive upside. The Dolphins have shown they have probably the most upside when everyone is healthy. You know, obviously the limitation there is, is to uh, just because he isn't, he isn't an elite quarterback on his own. I think he's, he produces in an, at an elite level, given the, his surroundings he has this season with play calling and Tyreek and Waddle. Um, but obviously, you know, at, he's not the type of quarterback that I that I think can elevate anyone. We've seen that he hasn't been able to elevate um, in his rookie year and his sophomore year, even when he had guys like Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker. But yeah, I think Eagle or Dolphins twenty to one 
is a great bet. Um, you know, other some other ones, Bengals 13 to 1. I know that's not as long big of a long shot, but I did say how um I, I did I think text either you or Tage that if the Bengals beat the Chiefs, I would be pay, placing a Bengals Super Bowl bet. And that's you know what I did just because yeah, they've they've shown that their offense is sustainable, they're not just relying relying on explosive plays. And then on defense, like they've withstood the loss of Shelby Awuzie for weeks now, especially against the best offense in the league with the Kansas City Chiefs. So yeah. I've kind of I've kind of liked them, and I, I am bullish on them long term, at least for this year, if everything stays. Yeah. No, we talked about that. It's funny. It reminds me. And I think one of the first times we talked last year uh, was like about the Bengals, and I was saying how it like was. they they were like passing over expected a little more for the first time, and they were like really trying to hide Burrow. Last season, it's kind of flown under the radar. Like they've been passing way above expectation, uh, and I think like as that third and eleven kind of was the uh, uh, like epitome of what this Bengals season of like they're gonna like, give Joe Burrow full reign and like go make a play on third and eleven, and I think he's up to that task. Uh, and like that, and for all the reasons you just mentioned, it it leaves me more bullish on the Bengals now uh, than than last year, even when I placed that uh, that long shot bet. Yeah, and uh, that was also the big thing for me coming into this year was like, was Zach Taylor going to respond to having a new offensive line by thinking he can run the ball more, pass the ball more? I think he did start off running the ball a little bit more, but he's definitely trans. We've talked, or the Twitter has done a good job of display or talking about how Zach Taylor's kind of evolved the uh, the Bengals' offense to more shotgun looks to passing the ball. I think the third or fourth most overexpected. So props to the Bengals' coaching staff. Props to Burrow. Um, you know, the offense is clicking and I think they're doing it in a way that I can get behind instead of just relying on, on explosive plays and sacks uh, to kind of like buoy that offense forward. Um, so, yeah, those were some fun long shot bets. Let's move on to or I guess we should talk about one in the NFC. Is there is there any team in the NFC that you like or as of right now, it seems like all the offenses, all the good offenses are in the AFC. Yeah, it does. It does seem that way. In theory, I, the Seahawks. Uh, only okay, because I yeah. think there's there's so much certainty being pressed into uh, kind of the Chiefs, Eagles, excuse me, to the Eagles, Cowboys, and Niners. Uh, and I think uh, the Cowboys certainly look strong, but there are still a bunch of question marks, I think, on the other two. And, like, when there's so much certainty being priced in, uh, I think you almost have to look elsewhere. And, like, I think the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. Uh, Geno Smith has, like, played well enough that it at least warrants consideration. And it's not, like, a, a highly – conviction bet it's more so a sell on kind of how the market is like really keying in on on three teams in the nfc yeah and i, I can't see. good faith bet the bucks <laughs> yeah no no no. yeah we're not betting the bucks uh they should not have won that game tom brady just has some fix i'm kidding uh he, he just finds ways to win I, it's just that was an, an annoying game to watch but um let's move on to the last part of this episode which is live betting we had you on earlier in the summer and you did kind of like outline your process for live betting. Um, first of all, let's talk about where they can find you live bet every Sunday for the world to see Judah. That's right. That is, uh, you can find it. I think the easiest place would just be on either Sportfolio Kings Twitter or check my Twitter at throw the damn ball, damn spelled D-A-M. Uh, you can also sign up on, on Twitch uh, to, to make sure you don't miss a podcast. I, I cannot recommend uh coming enough it's a lot of fun like honestly it's just fun uh like yeah. watching games trading ideas with with everyone uh i i highly encourage it 
yeah as a as a regular listener you know it is a, it is a lot of fun but you know why don't you walk us through some of your strategies like how you kind of built a live trading plan going into a week and like how you've executed it and obviously i want to i want to let the people hear about some of your biggest hits that you've had uh, live trading oh that's that's kind i get that you know try the best hits okay so i think it's almost a process of uh basically saying our abilities how can we price why this player team is priced as such i'll give a good example from last week which is like jalen hurts uh not passing for a lot of yards uh, over the course of a season it's a season-long average and that's what's being priced to his prop it's just the reflection of like happening maybe a little bit of a matchup adjustment as yeah. opposed to saying like okay given this matchup right like against a titans team that forces uh, teams to pass more than anyone and knowing that like the Eagles have a propensity to kind of adjust their game plan week to week. I start to see that, right. I, I built a tendency uh, like before the game, if I see that I'm going to like go all in on Jalen Hurts props. So like last week I saw that they were attacking like downfield early. I think they're going to have success. Hurts is a fine passer. Uh, like he's got great weapons. And like, I immediately jumped on the Jalen Hurts passing over. It went over by 120 yards. Uh, like that that's kind of the angle and then there are like certain team tendencies which is like I don't think it's random that uh, the Titans script good drives like have a for years now uh, have been able to punch the ball in when they get into the red zone like that's going to happen and the market's not exactly adjusting for the fact that like this is a Titans team tendency the Vikings five years in a row now can't hold leads it's like every single year without fail Kirk Cousins has like, and the, and the Vikings offense have like one of the lowest success rates and lowest DPAs when they have big leads. That should be priced in. It's not. Uh, so they're like, it's a combination of team tendencies and knowing certain angles and like trying to source uh, kind of market information. That's like the game plan side of it. I guess when yeah. you're actually watching, it's like a matter of, okay, uh, given what I know and what I prepared, like what am I seeing? And like, how is the market responding? Are they like jumping too much on a favorite? Uh, too quickly and like lines can get out of control one that i have my eye on for this week let's say is like bills jets right the market nine and a half the bill score an early touchdown that line's going to go to like 11 and a half 12 and a half it might even jump out to 13 and a half not much has like fundamentally changed about the game yeah. which is like we don't learn any new information it's just like a little bit of variance and like the odds are so far out it's like really going to jump onto the favorite uh that's a that's a sign because I, because because you you allow me to indulge on some of the biggest hits, uh, we got we got a Browns thirteen hundred oh, yeah. money line, uh, and I was basically just like kept on pounding the table like the Bucks are not going to be able the Bucks can't move the ball, like eventually the Browns are going to get enough drives they're going to score a touchdown like anything can happen in overtime, uh, that was a pleasure and then like really made a killing early on in the season, the uh, Chiefs. Niners game just like continuing to bet Chiefs money line Chiefs like minus six and a half like plus 550 and just like was pounding a table on on a live uh, Chiefs comeback yeah the the Browns 13 to 1 was at the misery of me and Tage's bet of the week unfortunately where I don't know I, I still think that was a good process bad result where the Bucks were in control for that game except Todd Bowles you know punted the ball away on the opposite side of the field and they just couldn't they couldn't run the ball move the ball yep. against the browns defense that was 
pretty yeah. bad. But that that's the story of the Bucks this year, right? They just yeah. they're not that good. That's right, and that's kind of like the the prior I built in. I'll add one more only because I think it it illustrates the process well. Which is I hit a big Washington money line in yeah. that Monday night game against the Eagles. I think it was like plus nine hundred or something. Which again, it was like understanding the Eagles without Jordan Davis. Uh, the game plan for Washington was like short drives. Uh, they're going to try and run the ball, not short drives, short, fewer drives in a shortened game uh, by like running the ball. And the Eagles are not really going to be able to stop it without Davis. And like when you introduce a lot of variance and you're getting plus 900, like that's exactly the sort of shot and the asymmetric risk that you're going to take. Like if I lose, okay, that happens. My thesis is wrong. Uh, and I'm like down a little bit, but if I'm right, I'm really right. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what happened in that spot. Yeah, that was, I remember you texting me about that and that was like such a crazy, crazy hit. Um, But yeah, if you, you know, for our listeners, if you want to follow Judah and his uh, live betting stuff, you can, like he said, go to Twitch, uh, search Sportfolio Kings and watch them every Sunday from 1 p.m. to sometimes 7 p.m. or, you know, sometimes they cut it short, but it's fine. I've been a loyal listener for the past uh, at, at least like two months and it's it's been a it's been a you know pretty fun time but you know judah really really want to thank you for coming on um this episode definitely had a lot of great insights betting wise and from a game preview wise um why don't you tell the good folks your twitter pff all that good stuff yeah you can find me pff.com pff app uh generally coming out with some same game parlays every sunday morning those have been oh, yeah. a wild success this year Hopefully we continue the luck. I think it's luck, not skill. But uh, either way, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, come with for for a live betting preview. Uh, also write a piece basically on some like exotic bet, uh, kind of different markets and why I see that market to be the the right story to to tell a particular game uh, angle. So alt spreads, player props, combination of those two things. Mm-hmm. That's all there. And then of course the uh, the the Wednesday PFF forecast uh, yes. where we talk alt lines live in-game betting yeah Yeah. again appreciate you judah um so that was our 35th episode previewing three games talking about some long shot bets really want to thank everyone for coming on i think me and tage are probably going to do a twitter spaces at some point in the near future but again thank you for listening to this episode until next time peace